One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. From the Race Across America Mobile Studios in Annapolis, Maryland, I'm George Thomas. You're listening to Ram Radio, and we're on the line with third place Race Across the West finisher, Chris Ramsey. Chris, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, you're on uh, quite the trek, heading home? Yeah, well, yeah, driving home from uh, Durango, left yesterday i'll get home tomorrow i'm kind of taking my time a little bit uh, and enjoying the the solitude on the way home i was gonna say that's probably very smart to have an easy drive <laughs> yeah it's good it's good thinking time kind of process a little bit of what happened and um and the kind of next steps going forward from here and that's what we want to talk with you about today first of all um I don't want you to become Chris Ramsey, the athlete with MS, because you stand alone without that designation. But that is very special, what you're able to do uh, with MS as a part of your life. What was it? First of all, tell us what it was like when you first got the diagnosis. Well, I can tell you very much. Uh, it was a surprise. The uh I, I was formerly a member of Team Psycho, the the triathlon team based out of Boston, Massachusetts, for any number of years. Still keep in touch with a lot of the, the people from the team, and we were getting ready for our our annual indoor time trial in uh, early February, late January, depending on whenever it was being held. And I was gearing up for that. I was gearing up for to be a, a solid. It's about a twenty five minute effort, and. Um, I, I, across a week, I went from being able to put out about, expecting to put out about 325 watts for that 25 minutes to I could maybe do 50 watts for a half an hour. Uh, and it felt then like I had just finished an Ironman. It, it was just utterly exhausting. So that, that acute part was a dramatic shift in, in my ability to do anything. That was in 2008. The, uh, across that summer, I started to recover some, and, and I will never forget being at the Moose Man Triathlon uh, in the Half Ironman and being um, somewhere in the middle of the pack, and I come across somebody, and he says, "He's I pass, uh, no, I'm being passed by somebody, and he says, aren't you Chris Ramsey? And I said, yeah. He said, what are you doing back here? Oh my God! And that that thought has has kind of you know I, I won't say it's haunted me, but it's been stuck in the back of my head as uh, uh, things change. But but eventually I was able to get back to World Championships again for the Hawaii Ironman, 
um, and qualified three times um, in the in the span after I'd been diagnosed before I retired from triathlons. So um, to some extent, there was this balance between everything changing and nothing changing. Um, and the, I think the, the mental space in between has been the, the more the battleground to this point. Been some changes physically, but but mostly it's been it's been just kind of gearing my head around the idea that you just got to keep going. Life gives you challenges, and you just keep going. What was your first reaction when the doctor told you your diagnosis? Well, when I first got diagnosed, it was with uh, something called transverse myelitis, which is a lesion in the in the spinal cord. Um, and when it was, it's if at worst, I would have ended up as Christopher Reeves. I would have been on a, in a wheelchair on a respirator. It was at, at C2, so it was way up high in the neck. Um, and thankfully, it was not the worst case scenario. A lot of tests got done subsequent to that. Um, almost all of them came back positive. MRIs, spinal taps, blood tests, you, you have all kinds of stuff. Um, and I, as I did my own research, it became... Um, pretty apparent to me that that this had a pretty high likelihood of converting to MS. Now, I'm, I'm a physical therapist, uh, so I have some medical background to begin with, and I kind of know how to do my research in terms of where I'm picking, getting sources from and whatnot. So I was pretty pretty confident that it sounded like I had about an 85% chance of converting to MS. So at that point, my brain was like, you need to get on these medications. This is, again, 2008. The first neurologist said, no, this is it. You've had it once, it's going to be done. And if none of those other tests were positive, it would have been a 15% chance. So that would have been easy. Um, but my, my research said it was something different. I went to another neurologist, and he said, yeah, you, this looks like it's going to convert. You need to get on the medications. Went to a third neurologist, and she said, yeah, this looks like it's going to convert. You need to get on the medications. So I got on the medications in 2008. And, and to me, that's when I got MS, when I started taking the medications for MS. But multiple sclerosis means uh, you get multiple lesions in the, in the brain or in the spinal cord that have to be at separate times and in separate places in the brain. That's the, the main criteria to get to, to quote, earn, uh, unquote, the diagnosis. And in 2011, I finally met the criteria for that. Um, and that time between 2008 and 2011 was just, it was just waiting. It was expecting the hammer to fall, but it hadn't fallen. Just expecting, expecting, expecting. So when I actually got diagnosed, um, to some extent, it was kind of a, as strange as it sounds, kind of a relief. Like the, at least, okay, now I can at least wrap my head around the direction I need to start thinking rather than continuing to hope that it's not going to convert. I can actually, okay, it's going to convert. It did convert. Now I can go forward and down that, that pathway. And you certainly have gone forward. What was it that uh, motivated you to get into long-distance bicycle racing? Well, like I said, I've been a triathlete. I, I competed in triathlons for 23, 22 years, somewhere in there. I'd done 18 Ironman across the years, um, qualified for Kona nine times, um, as an age grouper, um, had been eligible for my pro card at one point, and that's a regret I have is not checking that box, but that's okay. Um, so that was it was kind of there that long term stuff, and then and then I had a teammate uh, from Team Psycho. Uh, we fielded a four man RAM team, 
in 2007, actually the year before all this started for me. Uh, and I was asked to be the crew chief for that. And so I kind of, all of us were rookies. We all launched into that and had, they had an epic battle all the way across the continent. Uh, that was really kind of fun to be a part of. Um, ended up ultimately finishing second by I don't know, some five, six hours. But after 3,000 miles, that's not a whole lot of time. So in the back of my head, it was like, yeah, I might want to do this someday, but never, ever, ever as crew. The only way I'd do something like that is as a rider. Um, and two years ago, I was talking with a friend of mine, and she has a diagnosis of a, a different condition that that is going to kill her. Um, MS isn't necessarily going to kill you. It's very unlikely that it's going to kill you. Um, her condition, it is. It, her organs are going to stop. And she and I would meet for a beer once in a while. And she said, you know, Chris, you don't know how much time you got. You need to start checking off your bucket list items. And I said, wow, you're right. And Ram was one of those. So I signed up with uh, a buddy of mine um, who was one of my crew members for Raw this year. But I uh, signed up for a two-man Ram team with him uh, for 2017. And he ended up hurting his back and had to, to pull out. And I, in the meantime, already started fundraising for Raw, or excuse me, for um, the MS Society, and uh, was able to change my registration from the Ram two-man Ram team to Solar Raw. And I got way more scared going from two-man Ram team to Solo Raw. Something about having everything on your shoulders that just makes it a lot harder. <laughs> what was your longest ride to that point? Up until that, probably 100 and I want to say 138 miles, whatever the the B2B ride is for um, Team Psycho's B2B ride, the brewery to brewery ride from Boston, Massachusetts to um, oh Windsor, Vermont. I think it is some little town in Vermont. So yes, going into the 928 mile race across the West would be a huge jump from that. How did you yeah. adjust your training, and what was the response from uh, the people in the medical field to you undertaking this? Uh, the people in the medical field, my neurologist thought I was crazy, uh, but but at the same time, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with from an MS standpoint with me doing it. Uh, there are certain things that bother your your current symptoms, but nothing I was going to do um, was likely to to cause my, my condition to worsen, uh, in a permanent way. So he just thinks I'm nuts, but that's okay. The, uh, my, my primary care is actually the head was head of the, at that time was the head of the human performance lab at OHSU, uh, Kerry Keel. And, and he was all for it. He thought that was just the, the greatest thing in the world. Oh, I love it. Um, that, yeah. That's just, you know, give, give life challenges, take them on and, and go for it and have a goal. So tell us about that first experience. What happened during that race, and why were you not able to make it to the finish? Well, that's a, that's, that's a we're, so we were all rookies. There were four crew and myself. Um, we're all rookies at this particular thing. I had some ideas, obviously, from having done four-man ramp. Um, but we had plans. We made plans, and for whatever reason, for dealing with the heat, for example, um, and for whatever reason, those plans just didn't get implemented. Uh, we had communication issues in terms of just helping me break down the race um, became hard, so I ended up kind of just go until you get to Durango, which is just too far uh, at almost at any point to think of just go till you get to Durango. 
Uh, but when you have 700 miles left, that's too big a chunk to, to kind of try to swallow. Um, our strategy for sleeping didn't didn't pan out. We were we were kind of planning on the ride 18 to 20 hours, sleep for four hours, and that just ended up not working at all. Um, and then we didn't have the the way they the way we did the vehicles was just it was just overly complex and, and hard to manage. So in the end, though, it 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 just uh, um, I kind of died a, a solo death out there, uh, and and a, a somewhere along the line of the climb out of Camp Verde, I, I decided that I just had enough, uh, and it was time to, to call it a quits. But it was um, a great learning experience for you. What did you learn from that that you brought into 2018? Because you had a phenomenal race this year. Yeah, we made a, we made a few a few good changes. Um, um, all new crew. Um, this time, my, my my older brother Ian was the was my crew chief. Um, he has done 24 hour mountain bike racing, so he was kind of familiar with the ultra scene a little bit. Uh, the mechanic that was on board had, had actually been a, a mechanic for a, for a, I believe it was a four-man Ram team. might have been solo, but I think it was a four-man Ram team uh, three years ago, two years ago, three years ago. Um, the, my partner from the two-man Ram, or the registration for two-man Ram, uh, Aaron was uh, brought on board. Um, and Dylan, I should say Dylan from Tri-Tech Bikes, um, was the mechanic uh aaron came along uh and he was just he's just one of my closest friends and it was just great to have his support and he's had a good background of just riding a lot he'll ride from vancouver washington to spokane washington um to meet his family there and just kind of do that on his own so he's he's got a good maybe not ultra cycling from a competitive standpoint but from a from a riding standpoint um and then I had a guy who's just been really helpful for me and active with me in terms of fundraising for the National MS Society, Tyler. And then uh, uh, Vitas was a, got a very late addition. Uh, I think two weeks beforehand he joined the team. Um, and that actually enabled us to bring on two cars, which, which kind of just really changed things. But he was, he was a phenomenal – he's a character. Um, great pictures, great cheering. Um, apparently he didn't like doing laundry, but he did an awesome job doing all my laundry uh the uh it's not one of the more glamorous jobs i'm sure well chris you were often up battling for the lead here uh and riding extremely strong but you needed to get more sleep correct yeah that was so that was another strategy change that we made from last year was that we our initial plan going in was to do six hours on and then go down for an hour uh, six hours on, go down for an hour, six hours on, go down, or excuse me, go down for a half an hour, which we figured would take about an hour with 15 minutes of right. kind of declothing, cleaning up, and then kidding back up again to go on the other end. So it was about an hour break was what we thought it would be. Uh, and we pushed a little bit that first eight and a half hours, and I had no idea. My crew didn't tell me where I was. I had no idea where I was. Um, I, I knew I was doing fine based on, at that point, at least you kind of know where, where you're passing people but uh, but when we went down for our first break in Brawley at, at about uh, eight and a half hours um, that then you have no idea who's passing you when so um, so they didn't tell me at all anymore after that uh, so I had no idea that I was anywhere near the lead um, up until about mile oh where was it maybe 400 
when my wife told me, she's like, you're doing great. You've been like going back and forth in the lead. And I'm thinking, oh, I didn't want to know that because it's just <laughs> too early to know that. Uh, I know, I know I'm a, I'm a racer at heart and, and I need to really dial back to, to make sure I didn't start racing and put myself in a big hole. Um, and I think the other big change that we made from the previous year, just to, to go back to that one question, cause this is important from an MS standpoint, um, is, is how to cool yourself. So we talked previously about in 2017 about using ice socks and I got my first ice sock, um, somewhere shortly before, um, uh, uh, Flagstaff, which is a little late to get an ice sock. Um, in 2017, last, in, in 2017, didn't... 2017. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, in this year we had, we had dashboard protocols that were, if it's over 90 degrees, here's what we're doing. And as soon as we dropped down to Borrego Springs, it was 108. So it was well over 90 degrees. We immediately broke out the ice socks. Um, I was spraying down ice water on my, uh, my Castelli, um, sun sleeves, um, and I can't tell you how effective that was in terms of keeping my core temperature down. It was just really phenomenal. Between the ice socks, there was the between the middle of my shoulder blades was always freezing uh, across the desert the whole day, freezing. And that was a big change. Um, and then I think the other big thing that was really helpful was that that my crew had a really good ability to actually adapt and change this year, whereas we had trouble with that last year. Um, they threw out our, our planned log for how we're going to log nutrition by, I think it was hour four into the race. They were already saying, no, that's not going to work. Let's try something different. And they came up with something that was going to work with them and it worked great. Um, we switched, we ended up switching to go to a full hour sleep actually. And probably almost every three to five hours rather than every six hours. Um, and that was really effective as well. So yeah, I had to take a lot more sleep. Um, and apparently that led to a lot of back and forth with some other, some of the other riders. Um, but that, that extra sleep enabled me to really stay on the gas. And, and when I look back at my, at my Garmin, um, readout, it said that I averaged, I averaged 17.8 was my average moving time, uh, or moving speed rather when you take out lights and, and all the stops and all that kind of stuff. Um, which I was, I thought that was pretty good. The, I would um, say that is pretty good. <laughs> the, yeah, the downside is that it, it's cost me 26 hours of sleeping time of off the bike time. So, um, but I think it, it it shows that there are two strategies. You know, to be six hours behind the leader, behind the winner, I should say, and four hours behind second place, um, and getting probably twice as much time off the bike as they did. Uh, needing twice as much time off the bike that they did said that I think you can be a strong rider and need to rest more and that's okay. You can still come through pretty fast. So was that hard for you to stop in Brawley um, during that, that early into the race and actually go down and sleep? No, I didn't. I didn't. I don't think I actually slept. Um, the first three times that we stopped, you just got so much, so much stuff going through your head. You can't turn your brain off. No. Um, and so I don't think I actually slept more than maybe a total of 15 minutes until the second night. Uh, but even just getting off the bike, um, and whether it was, and, and that first stop at Brawley, they actually spoiled me. They gave me a hotel room there. Um, but um, but after the other than that, I was in the the back seat of, in the back of the van. We built out a uh, a little a bed in the back of the van, 
Um, so they would take all the gear out and be working on everything and getting it laundry done and everything else done while I'm while the engine's running and I'm just sleeping in the back of the AC. And the only time that didn't work was in Salome, um, where it was the air conditioner in the car couldn't keep up or the van couldn't keep up. Uh, and it was getting hotter. I actually got out of the car and, and laid down outside because it was just it, it was it was 116 when I was riding. I was going to say, so I thought long. it was up around 120, 118. So, yeah, it was really hot. Yeah. So, uh, and that was, if you, if you, you know, I think that that's again, shows the, what an event can do for you. If you ever told me, it's Chris, you know, someday you're going to take a nap and it's going to be 110 degrees in the shade and you're going to be okay with that. And you'll actually fall asleep. I would have laughed uh, <laughs> because heat and MS just don't get along. Uh, my my skin would be crawling and stinging, and um, my my hands and my feet would be buzzing. And by the time I got to Salome, which is what is that, 340 miles in, uh, after the headwind to get there, um, I was I was yeah I was everything hurt, so it didn't matter anymore. It was just a matter of God, I could close my eyes for a few minutes, and it was okay. Crew did what they needed to do, and I got back on the bike and did what I needed to do. What was it like for you to ride past the area where you dropped out in 2017? Well, we actually stopped there again. So we stopped in Flagstaff because that is a convenient spot to uh, gear up on water and, and other supplies for the, the trip through the desert, through the uh, uh, all the way into Colorado, for that matter, to Cortez almost. Um, at least that's what the route book told us. Um, so we stopped there, um, and and there was there was no doubt I was going on. I had no no uh, the closest I got to. Uh, well, there was never a time of like I'm not going to finish. There was a time climbing up uh, up out of Camp Verde where I was just really, I needed a nap and I was tired. And getting started after that was I was really daunted. I think at that point but never anywhere near where I was a year prior where, where I wanted exactly two things. I wanted to quit and I wanted to not quit. And those are the only two things I wanted. And those are kind of opposite of each other. can't do both of those this year. There was, there was no doubt I was going to keep going. So when I left there, it was kind of, um, um, it was it was very satisfying to pull out of there and kind of move on into into new territory. And now now the race was unfamiliar where I was going from there. Um, so with a third of the race left, uh, there was kind of a little bit of that excitement of, hey, what's coming up next? Uh, that was really a, kind of a neat feeling, uh, and that was quickly though um, stifled by that descent coming out of Flagstaff. Uh, which was the scariest descent of my entire life coming down that 40 mile stretch down in the tuba city uh, with, with big big cross tailwind uh, that was coming across traffic uh, it was just really nerve-wracking and that is an insanely fast descent uh yeah <laughs> yeah i don't think i took it insanely fast I, I think i was overly cautious on the descent and most of the descents actually i was i was probably overly cautious but that one was uh um, the, the good part of that was like when I got to the bottom, I wasn't tired. I was, I was stressed, but I wasn't tired. 
Um, and that's a very different sense from a, from an MS standpoint that stress kind of um, can cause you to be can cause you to be tired one way, but but it doesn't. It wasn't the body fatigue that Raw was kind of putting in me at that point. So you're definitely a racer. And where were you feeling most competitive? Did that feeling ever go away? Uh, were you trying to close the gap on the two guys in front of you? Uh, I had I didn't really know where I was. Um, so going up, I, I you know I'd seen kind of uh, I, number one twenty six, and I still don't know that I just remember one twenty six. Um, I think he was the guy who ended up fourth. But I remember going up um, the Yarnell grade and just just blowing by him. And and thinking and that was that was shortly after Misha had spilled the beans to me that hey now so I'm like well I think I'm in the lead now at mile 400, um, and coming down there was the was the only time in the race where I was I was um, scared from a, a um, fatigue standpoint like I could really feel my eyes drooping on that downhill. Um, and having a hard time keeping them open. They just kept wanting to close on me, kept wanting to close on me. And at this point in my head, I'm, I am kind of racing. Um, but I'm also realizing that I'm scared that, that I'm going to crash. And so I, I get down the, to the bottom of that hill, um, and I tell my crew chief this, and he's like, out, get in the car right now, and, and we're, we're going down right now. And I got in the car i didn't even change because i was like you said let's just do a 10 minute nap so i laid down for 10 minutes um and it felt like it was about 10 minutes and then i got up came out of the car and i said how long has that been he's like it's been an hour uh, so i i clearly needed that nap um and, and the good news there was that that was like good your race is done now you're not racing anymore so i could kind of back off of that mentality then it kicked back in again um when another friend of mine texted me and he said, Hey, you're doing great. Now go catch that guy in front of you. <laughs> um, and that was somewhere in the night on that stretch, uh, of 160, uh, where our, where our, our, my follow van got its flat tire. That was our only mechanical of the whole race. Um, but the crew changed that pretty quick. Um, and we got going again, took a little nap there. And then when we got to that turn off, I don't know what that, I think it's time station. 11 maybe I think you're thinking of Cayenta yep that takes you into Monument Valley yep yeah going into Monument Valley so we came in there and I was I was that was time wise that was when I was due for a nap and I felt fantastic I was I was for whatever reason I was I was ready to go Uh, and we pulled into there um, and just did a kit change and I got a Big Mac, or not a Big Mac, an Egg McMuffin sandwich. That was delicious. At least then it was. Maybe half an hour later, not so much. But at that point, it was delicious. Um, but the other guy that I'd been kind of, I guess, going back and forth with all night was in the gas station and was down. And his crew woke him up, I think. At least this is this is what I hear from my crew anyway. That looked like the, his crew had woke him up saying, he's here, he's here, you got to get going. Um, so they apparently... Um, pulled out right behind us as we left there we were there for maybe 15 minutes just doing a kit change um and at that point i felt great and so i every uphill i knew i was climbing well so every uphill i pushed it i didn't i didn't jam it but i pushed it and then all the downhills or where there was a good a good tailwind i just recovered so it became the switch from survivor to where can i gain time and where can i recover 
Um, and that's that was sort of going to my cyclocross racing ideas or skills of, of you look at a course and you say, where can I go? Where can I make time? Where can I save time? Um, and I think I knew somebody pulled up behind us, but my crew would tell me. Uh, but but very quickly, he kind of disappeared uh, away. Um, and then we were just up from our nap in Mexican hat. Oh, and that, that time we timed coming through Monument Valley. That was one of my biggest regrets last year is not getting through Monument Valley. Um, and we timed it right at dawn. I mean, it was right at dawn when we came through Monument Valley. It was gorgeous. Um, my my uh, my the guy in the follow van driving was uh, my former partner. We we our families go backpacking, and hiking, and stuff. Um, both of our jaws were dropping, and we were on our heads were on swivels as we're just looking around at all of Mother Nature through that area there. Um, now through this last part, did you change your strategy at all? Did you think, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and push until I get to the finish, or did you maintain your uh, six hours on, hour off. No, uh, at that point we were probably more like three or four hours, three or five hours, uh, and an hour of sleep, so an hour and a half off. Um, then we got to Time Station 13, uh, Montezuma Creek, I believe. Yes. Um, we stopped there. Uh, it was hot again. Um, and we stopped there, and, and I, I needed to sleep, and I slept for, again, maybe an hour or so. And when we... When we left there, my crew chief said, so that guy we were chasing, um, he was there when we got there, and he left, you know, not, he was on the other side of the building, so I never saw him, uh, but he's now 14 miles up the road, and I'm now doing the math of 14 miles, I'm, I'm, I'm doing about 18 miles an hour, so that's about 50 minutes, I need to make it 50 minutes between now and the end of the race, and that's with 90 mile, 95 miles left, that's a big ask. Um, but I had a, a, a friend of mine email me and she said, she gave me advice that her, her dad gave her when she was uh, going to row for, in the Olympics. Um, and he said, and she was the youngest member of the team. She was a, a teenager, I think, 19 or so. And he told her, he said, you know, you just, just squeeze every bit you can out of this event these are the kind of things that just come around once. So just leave it all out there. And at this point, it's clear to me, I'm going to finish right in the allotted time. I'm going to finish. If I had to pull over for a 12 hour nap, I'm still going to finish. So the idea of survivor is gone. And I say, that's it. We're racing. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm going to see if I can catch this guy. And so it was the same idea. It was push hard on the climbs, push hard on the climbs now i mean relatively speaking at this point but push hard on the climbs uh, and recover with the tailwinds and recover on any of the downhills that you come across and it's just stair steps up so there's a decent chunk of times you can really recover through there and that twisty stuff i just find is really fun there's a nice twisty road uh, between time station 12 and or 13 and time station 14 and we get about two-thirds of the way through and I've, I'm, I'm tired now I've, I've been working the hardest I've worked the whole race by by a long shot well that and is I, actually a soul-sucking stretch of road uh, when you pass Anath Utah and are heading to Cortez it's a uh, chip seal it's slow and it's a, a steady climb even though it may not look like it uh, and then it kicks up a little bit and your speed just drops through there so I'm impressed you rode that strong 
Yeah, well, the, the steep ups are, are where I do okay. I mean, yep. I think that's as a Cat Two cyclist, I'm I'm not a shabby cyclist, and, and climbing and climbing and being away are probably my two uh, two strengths from a cycling standpoint. Certainly not sprinting, but climbing and, and kind of being on the attack. Um, so I finally ask my crew chief, I'm like, so Ian, are we making any headway at all? Because if we're not making any headway, if we if I pulled back two miles in the last. 40 miles um then it's not worth the effort i'm gonna just enjoy the last bit and he says oh yeah it's he's oh yeah and that just invigorates me even more um it turns out we i think i think he may have felt me coming or something i don't know but he uh he ended up I, i closed all 14 miles by the time we got to cortez um and he had pulled over into a gas stop or into the time station rather and was just in the parking lot as we went by him and i think he finished oh maybe two hours behind me three hours behind me at the end but as i passed him it was almost i had to kind of keep myself motivated having the carrot out there was kind of is, is invigorating but i said you know what let's just keep pushing i still had no idea if, if anybody was up touchable at that point but it seemed like it was definitely worth uh, pushing, just, just let's just leave it all out there, uh, and ended up covering that last time station, four thirteen, to the finish line. Um, stops included. I did change kits up at the top of the hill to look nice and presentable at the finish <laughs> line, um, and then, uh, and I had I think one, one maybe one P stop, and I changed helmets. Uh, and that was it between time station 13 and time station 15 at the end. And it was still under six hours, including all the breaks for that last, those last two time stations for that last 93, 96 miles. Um, so I, I really, I just put it all out there, um, and got to Durango and I was just got to the top of the climb and they kind of took it easy. I was like, don't crash on the way down. Um, and then riding up, um, that last little climb was easy. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't pushing there I, at that point. It was just kind of soaking it in. Um, and, uh, Marco Bolo, Marco Bolo, is that right? Bolo. Yep. Bolo. Thank you. He, he actually was just coming down, I think from the awards ceremony or, or seeing somebody else, another team finish or something anyway. And he had come down he was sitting a couple over from me at the press conference, uh, in Oceanside. So he rode down turned around, came up the hill and he's, he's, pushing me actually from behind um, we're just chit-chatting about the race and uh, it was it was neat to be recognized and um, and to kind of to, to just have that moment was kind of special um, and then I said no no I can I'm gonna ride the whole the whole rest of the way so I kind of pushed his hand away from me so I could ride <laughs> the whole rest of the way uh, and then my team decided uh, as we get to the roundabout up there um, to go the wrong way so that was the only navigational hiccup we had the entire way was uh, my crew at that point decided was to, to just move the finish line on me a little bit uh, and play around a little bit. So, yeah, and then and then, and then then it was this – I mean, you know how the finish line – well, you were there. I mean, you know how the finish line is. It's, it's, it's kind of a quiet little finish line. Yep. Um, and it's a very personal moment, I think, too, of, of my family was there um, – my crew was there and that was, and then the, the ramp people were there. Um, and that's pretty much it. And, um, to, to ride across the finish line, uh, holding my nine year old's hand, 
um, was a, a really special moment as he's running along next to me taking pictures. Um, that was a really special moment of, of done. And what a great life lesson for your nine-year-old. What did you, what do you feel he learned from your example? Well, I have no idea what he really learned, but, um, I certainly hope I have the hope that my, my inability, my DNF last year, um, even by itself probably could have stood alone and been, been, been fine. Right. Um, but I think, I think there's a lesson to be learned that just because you fail once doesn't mean you don't go back and, and give it another whirl, uh, and try again, revise how you did it, new strategies, change up what didn't work, um, and then end up trying some other stuff and hopefully it works. But, uh, but just the face of defeat once doesn't mean defeat period. So get back out there and, and, and try again, especially for these big things. The big things are where uh, those things that really define who you are down in your soul. Well, that's really a good lesson for all of us. And <laughs> what are your plans for the future? And I uh, also want to hear about your fundraising and how uh, those of us who would like to make some donations can do so. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll come back to the fundraising in a minute. The, uh, the next plan is definitely not RAM for anybody who's curious. Um, I, I, I'm content with raw. Uh, I think my neck is exhausted, uh, even still a few days, several days later. Uh, my triceps are exhausted. My quads are exhausted. I think that uh, I think raw is probably pushing it for me. And, and uh, um, kudos to the guys who can do or the, the guys and girls. I shouldn't say guys, period, but to get the, the men and women who can do raw, they are truly the heart or RAM rather. Uh, they are truly the hard people out there, um, but I'm I'm content with raw. I think uh, um, that that my brother was was I think instrumental in, in that thought process of, of there's no reason that you can't just make this a standalone chapter, a, a solitary experience in your life, um, and and not have to one up it. Um, and I don't think I ever I don't. I don't have a feel of a need to one up this at all. This is just this is a phenomenal experience, um, especially the night and day from a year ago to this year to this year. Um, although I was thinking that a relay might be kind of fun, <laughs> <laughs> and I could see how that would be uh, not nearly as hard from a training standpoint uh, or from a time away from the family standpoint. But at this point, family really is the, is the key. So so July becomes the month of Misha, my wife. Uh, I think we are probably going camping almost every weekend. Um, my this summer, we're going to try to get my son wants to ride uh, 100 miles. Last year at age eight, he did 50 miles on his own, uh, and he wants to get up to 100 miles this year. So we need to be doing some training for that. And then he and I are going to go climb Mount St. Helens, which he and his mom did last year again without me because I was training for this um, but he and I are going to do it this year uh, so just spend some more time with the family and just appreciate that and probably do a lot more skiing next year because we didn't do much of that this year either for uh, fear of getting hurt um, and then fundraising is uh, yeah fundraising is going fantastic so my goal last year was I would have been happy with five five grand. If we could have raised five thousand dollars for the National MS Society to fight multiple sclerosis, 
I was going to be ecstatic. And so when we when we passed thirty two thousand dollars last year, I was that that was what made last year a success in my mind. Probably the only thing that made it a success in my mind, but made it a, a terrific success in my mind last year. So this year, I said, "Well, we did that well last year, so let's let's go fifty thousand this year." Um, and that uh, seems like a very daunting task to me uh, as well. But we are, as of today, I think we're at uh, we're now four or five days after raw uh, at about thirty, almost thirty-two thousand already, and that's without several matches uh, having come in yet. I think there's at least 10,000 in outstanding matches that just the checks haven't come in from the companies that are doing the matching or or the people that are doing the matching yet. Um, So fundraising is going terrific. However, uh, every dollar helps. Um, And so I, I, if people are so moved to try to help end this disease that uh, affects um, so many people, uh, I would be honored to have them come to my page and maybe we can put my that page in the comments section uh, there is currently a two thousand dollar match actually that's going on so if you contribute 20 bucks that becomes 40 bucks if you contribute 100 bucks that becomes 200 bucks um, just like that so though then that matching is just so so key to making this these these events really work it's amazing what happens when when you get matches that come in so uh, so yeah, I would be I would be over the moon. If we can make fifty thousand, I will be over the moon. This there, there's I cannot imagine a, a more successful event all around. Chris Ramsey, it's just been phenomenal to watch you perform uh, when I've seen you race up in the Northwest and to see what you did here at Race Across the West this year. And I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity, George. Thank you very very much. From the Race Across America Mobile Studios in Annapolis, Maryland, I'm George Thomas. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.